Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. I want to talk to you today about, if there's a title, I call it the supernatural kingdom life of the believer. Just hold on. There we go. The supernatural kingdom life of the believer. The eternal state of glory should be reflected in our pattern of living now. Let me, let me explain that. In other words, even though we're not perfected yet, how to realize we still got a ways to go. In Christ, we have his fullness and then that work of sanctification and, and, and adjusting and tuning. But even though we're not perfect yet, the way we live as kingdom people is based on an eternal pattern of heaven. Revelation 1, 4 through 8, a couple incredible verses, and it says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, so right at the beginning, uh, the Lord is speaking to these churches, which these churches, these messages are represented within all the churches down through the ages, even to today. Say, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. I've always fascinated by that seven spirits who are before his throne we'll look into that sometime too and from jesus christ the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth preacher who's in charge of all these bad people out there not that all rulers are bad they're not but no matter who they are jesus the faithful witness firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. We are a people identified as kings and priests. What One translation, and I, I'm not going to say pick one. I think they're both valid, but one translation reads, and that he has made us a kingdom of priests. I think it fits in the context uh, maybe a little better. We... We, we, and especially Western Christianity, we've segmented much of the ministry of the church to the pattern of business models, which is not scriptural at all. And there is authority, I understand that there's gifting and all, and we all have our place, but, you know, uh, the church is not a hierarchy based on, on just particular natural skills, and we all kind of come under or fit in where our natural, no, the church is a kingdom a priest, where, where each one of us have a calling and a ministry that God, before you were created in your mother's womb, he knew what you were destined for. And the enemy tries to stop and thwart that, but greater is he, yes, somebody say thank you, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We're a kingdom of priests. We're not just where a pastor preaches and other people just kind of come and listen to what he says, and yeah, Sunday morning is set up to bring the teaching of the word, but you're all part of the ministry of the kingdom of God in the day that we live. Every single one of you. We have various gifting, various calling. It's the Holy Spirit that brings that. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, turn over there, or if you would, or go to the screen up there, Michael. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, kind of reiterates what, um, what we see in Revelation. And Peter is taking um, some of the things he's talking about from the Old Testament. Here he says, Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture... Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, the elect and precious. That would be Jesus. And he who believes on him, that would be you, will by no means be put to shame. Somebody say, thank you, Lord, for that promise. Therefore, to you who believe. How many, how many here would say, well, that, that's talking to me. 
Okay, he is. He's talking to those who believe he is precious, that is Jesus. But to those who are disobedient, that'd be the world, unbelievers, the stone which the builder of rejection has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you, look at your neighbor and say you. Matter of fact, look at your neighbor and point at him and say you so they get the message, yeah. You, you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation with his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you. Preacher, what's my ministry? To proclaim the praises of the one that called you out of darkness into his glorious light, amen? We all have that ministry, every one of us. Why? Because we're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. Uh, and we're to proclaim his praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people. This is very interesting Revelation. Before you come to Christ, you live a single, solitary existence. I don't care how close you may be to family, that's good, or how many friends or commitments, it doesn't matter how many things on, the, on your website or on your page you have. Before you come to Christ, you'll never know what it is to be connected the way that God intended for you to be connected to other people. It's impossible. Why do you think? The world has come up with the Facebooks and the Twitters and all that. It's the attempt, but it always falls short. Why? Because of what he says that we're his own special people. We were called out of darkness to his own light because before that, we were, a peop we were not a people. You can live in the same nation, have the same uh, nationality, have the same skin color, have the same DNA language, all that stuff. But there's something more than those external things that connect you to where you're a part of a family. I believe last week we looked at a verse that said, he sets the solitary in families. Why? Because in, before you're Christ, you never know what it is to be connected in the family of God way, which is different than just the horizontal connecting of family. And I'm not dissing family. I love family. We love our family. And, and, and there's much in the Bible there to how to have that family function as it should. But even at that, let me tell you, the Mormons are great at families. They really are. But those that don't know Jesus, and there's, there's a great emptiness there. I'm just using that to illustrate, and it's coming up in this verse. But we've been called out of darkness into marvelous light now, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, that is before you came to Christ, but now have obtained mercy. The four realities of our, our identity in Christ are found in these few verses. First, you're chosen. Your chosen generation, what's that mean? He selected you. Another uh, definition of this word chosen is, means favorite. My wife is convinced she's his favorite. But I'm convinced of the same, and you're convinced of the same. Why? Because that's the reality. God, when he looked at you, looked at no one else besides you and said, I'm selecting you. You're my favorite. I want you to come. And only because he is God and he knows no limits can he do that with each and every individual without degrading or favoring one over the other. We're all called. And when you say yes, you become selected and part of his favor. He said he makes you as the apple, as the very pupil of his eye. There's nothing going to come to you that he's not going to see or filter first. The devil will lie to you and tell you, well, the Lord just didn't care, whatever. No, that's a lie. Why? Because we're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. Royal, kingly. I like this um, insight into this word. We're a royal priesthood. That is, we are a priesthood. We, uh, royal means you have a foundation of power. It's not just a name. It's not just, yeah, I got my membership card down at the church there in the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen. Oh, we don't have those, but 
you hear what I'm saying, uh, or that I'm connected in some way because I go to a building at the same time with some other folks. Hey, the connection is way more than our connection is royal. That is, we have a foundation of power that connects us to what we're a part of. The world does not have that. They try for it. So they'll use scheming and cheating and authority and guns and power and politics and all that, trying to get what we have and been brought into. We have a foundation of power behind us. Why is that so important? Because what you live and how you live as a believer is based in his power and not just on your own endeavors. How many have ever needed his strength? <laughs> when you know, I'm not, I'm not man or woman enough for what I got to face in this. No, but I am. I am royalty. I'm part of a royal kingdom, a part of a royal priesthood, a nation. I like this one as well. We're chosen. We're royal uh, kingly people, and we belong to a nation. Uh, this, it means manner. It means when you're a part of a nation, it has its own culture. It's habit. It, it, it's holy. That is the nation we belong to, and I love America. I love, I'm a patriot. I vote, and I vote the Bible. Come on, somebody. I obey the laws. Even in my car, I try, Lord, you know, and, and all those kind of things. I'm, uh, uh, I'm glad that I'm a part of this nation. But I'm going to tell you, the nation that we are connected to as believers is a nation that is so far superior than any nation that is governed by people on this planet that the planetary nations have no comparison or likeness to the heavenly nation that we're a part of. That is the nation. That's where your citizenship is. You are first a citizen of heaven and of the kingdom of God, greater than you are a citizen of your natural um, you know, where you live and what nation you were born into or immigrated to. Don't ever forget that. It'll really impress upon you if you ever go to another nation other than America. And I'm not presuming that everybody here is Americans. I don't know, but I'm preaching in Washington State. So uh, just taking a, a chance on that. But most of the time when you go to other nations, the ones that I've gone to, what it's done, it has made me realize how blessed and fortunate I am to live here been to Haiti a few times and literally I didn't do it but I felt like it but I was too proud I guess when I crawled back off the plane in San Francisco where we came into I felt like getting down and kissing the pavement on which the plane landed on we had no idea how blessed we are but our real citizenship is far greater than here Get it? that's what that's what Peter's saying the four realities of our identity in Christ uh, and we're a peculiar people this is one of our favorites peculiar it this way it doesn't mean strength now, don't, don't, even look at, don't even use a peripheral look at your neighbor now. Okay, don't even do that. But uh, I know we're all got our own peculiarities and all that, but that's not what this is really talking about. He said we're a peculiar people, and, and, and literally this is the idea was getting right. This means the point entered into of a place, a time, and a purpose. You're peculiar because you've come into a place, his kingdom, the time in your life, whenever you accepted Christ. One of the reasons we love camp around here, kids camp, it is so much easier for them when they're this big. Now, they're being raised in church, so hopefully they know it before they get there. But if they don't, they're going to know it before they get out of there. Then they have experiences with God and prayer time and all that. It's so much easier when you get them at that time. But it doesn't matter what time you came in. Some people come in in different seasons of their life. You're peculiar, and you come in for a purpose. You have a purpose for being here, and it's not just to fill a chair on Sunday morning and listen to me and the fans. There's a big thing happening in the parking lot this Saturday. That's part of our purpose. There's stuff that's going on. All of those things, you're peculiar in that you connect with those purposes that God has for you. John was shown what, what that connection, what this uh, peculiarity of the kingdom life of, of believers, he was shown what that looks like 
for eternity over in Revelation 21. Let's go over there. And this is the first part of a message. I'll do my best to complete it next week. But um, uh, so be here if you can next week because these two do tie together. So John was shown in the spirit in heaven what the supernatural kingdom life of the believer is going to be like for eternity. I don't care if you got saved three minutes ago or three decades ago. This is where you're going. This is our future. This is what our life really is going to be. This is just a temporary uh, process that we're going through to live under the glory in the hand of God. But this is where we're heading. Revelation 21, verse 22. And I, I love reading these. And, and um, because it's so glorious and it points to a future time, sometimes we don't even talk about this on Sunday morning in church, but we should. So we're going to today. But I saw no temple in it. He's in heaven. He's looking at the new Jerusalem. He's looking at the throne of God. And he said, I saw no temple in it. Church is going to be different there than here, right? And he said, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are his temple. The city had no need of sun or of moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth. Remember those kings we just talked about? Who the Lord says he rules over? Some of them are going to be there. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. And then he qualifies this, which means they're never going to be shut because there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or lie, but only that's those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Wait a second. I'm over in 21, and I need to be in 22. So you got that for free. <laughs> Revelation 22, 1 through 10. And he showed me a picture Show me a pure river of water of life. Are we there, Michael? And they shall bring glory, 22, 1 through. Or... Now we're going over to 22, 1 through 10. Going on with the revelation. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. This is where we're, this is where we're heading. Proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of his streets on either side of the river was the tree of life. A few weeks ago we talked about the river. Which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. And there shall be no more curse. Somebody say, thank you, God. Can't wait to get there. Ha. But the throne of God and the Lamb of God shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There will be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, these are the words of the faithful and true. The Lord God of holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the thing which must shortly take place. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy and of this book. Now John goes to a personal testimony, verse 8. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel. Small a here. I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he, that is, that angel, said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets. What are we a kingdom of? priests and prophets. And of those who keep the word of this book, worship God. A couple of things I want to go through. This is what it's going to be like in heaven. But that pattern also exists. Next week we'll pick up and we'll look more closely at that earthly reality of that pattern, how it manifests in our life today. But a couple of things that we see here about the kingdom reality of believers is that there's no more curse. When you accepted Christ, you came out from under the curse of sin and destruction 
and death that is eternal death and separation from God. Now, there's all processes of sanctification. Many times people need to have areas of deliverance in their life. There's so much there within the, uh, within the body of Christ that should be ministering to bring people out from under the, the uh, impact of what happened to them before they came to Jesus. This happens in an instant when you accept it. But sometimes you work that out through processes of ministry. And the main goal is, is that there's no more curse. You were not called to live, nor were you created to live under a curse. That's what Adam and Eve blew in the first place, and they messed it up. But Jesus came. There's all types and shadows in the Old Testament where God makes it very, very plain. His desire for his people now on this planet is that we would live beyond and above the impact of curses upon our life. That's a whole other message, and we'll get there. Uh, and and uh, it's, it's, it's a very powerful uh, revelation from the Word of God. Another thing is that the throne of God and the Lamb are in it. Part of the kingdom identity of believers and their, their um, experience uh, in this place called heaven is that the throne of God and the Lamb are in it. Over in verse 1 of chapter 22. One thing that I, that I noted um, in verse 21, and it ties in here, is that he said, I saw no temple. That is, there wasn't a dedicated place or building. Now, there is the throne, of course. But that is going to be a huge shift for all of us. And I believe that shift should be taking place now. Let me explain. It's very easy to begin to associate places, locations, and gatherings. That's where the kingdom of God manifests. And I don't disagree with that, but I think we need further explanation in this way. Those places, the church or temple or house of worship, whatever, those are just there to facilitate where people can gather in a similar place and receive insight, instruction, counsel, whatever, come up under the anointing of God for prayer and worship and all those kind of things. But this is not the temple. How many knows what the temple is today? You and you and you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, you're in temple 24-7 as a believer. The Spirit of God resides inside of you. As a matter of fact, He's inside of you so much that out of you comes a river of living water. That's the way it works. He comes into you, and then you're not, you don't have like the Bonneville Dam around your life, and if you do, we need to bust it down. He comes into you, and then out of you flows a river of living water, and it just goes. You'll never run dry. Heaven never runs dry. The throne, the temple of God, is you. We are together. Now, there's some implications with that. I'm not going to take the time to go into that, but uh, you need Take care of your temple, okay? The best that you can, the best that you have the ability and understanding to and, and, and all of those things. But there are things that I did when I was earlier to my temple that now I'm saying, God, I need some healing from heaven to heal the damage that I did. You all know. We all have that happen. I wish someone had told me when I was 12 that hearing plugs are for your benefit when I was shooting guns and all the other things. It, just a, for example. But take care of your temple. Where I'm going is, is that God cares about you so much that by his stripes, Jesus paid for the healing. But uh, also, he wants you to, to, you know, I think Paul said, therefore we present ourselves as living sacrifices, which is our reasonable service to God, that you present your body, which is his temple. Uh, the throne of God here is the Lamb and literally the throne of God. You're going to be, if you, if you live at times feeling like, man, Lord, you're just so far away. Well, the, the actual true experience of every believer is that you're going to be in the very presence of God 
24-7 for eternity. Oh, there is no 24-7 there. It's just eternity, and you're going to be around his presence forever. His servants. His servants. What, what's a servant? One who is in permanent relationship of servitude to another. That's what a servant is. They, the eternal state of the believer is that we live in this eternal state of serving him, serving Jesus, serving the Father, serving whatever the kingdom is all about there. It's, it's one who's in permanent relationship of servitude to another. Who are you in servitude to another? Jesus. Why? Because he's the one that purchased you. You belong to him. And because of that, his will, you should, you should be completely subject to the, his will or the will of another. It says his servants shall serve him. We've made servants in, in modern America a degrading just the opposite. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, right? What did, he said, I came to serve. I've been working with some of the men out here, and it's been warm and sticky and all of that. We're just men, right? It's sweat. And I'm like, did you take a shower? And then I realized, oh, no, that's me. It's sawdust. It's dirt. It's paint. Every bit of it, holy to go holy to go. Every time whoever picks up the brush and scrubs that toilet, holy to go. <laughs> My wife. Every time they take the spray bottle and wipe the fingerprints and the kid's forehead marks off the, off the windows out front, holy to go. Every time that vacuum cleaner runs over, you get what I'm saying. It's holy to go. Serving the kingdom, serving his people, serving his temple, serving the city. This Saturday coming up out in that parking lot is going to be tense and all kinds of things going on. And it's going to be hot and it's going to be sticky. And there are going to be probably hundreds of people that we've never seen before and may not ever see again. But everything that goes on out there is going to be holy because we're serving him. It's his name that we're lifting up. As we lift Jesus, he draws them. He draws them. I can't wait. The kingdom is his servant shall serve him. Verse 9 I, I love verse 9 of chapter 22 here about what's happening in the kingdom because John said, now I saw and I heard these things. And when I heard and saw them, he said, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel showed me these things. What happens when you come in and you begin to see and hear things that concern the manner of God himself, of Jesus and his kingdom and his people and all that he's done? One of the great things that happens is that you are drawn uh, instinctively, supernaturally to worship God. And so John said, I saw this and I fell down before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he, that angel said, and it's italicized, which means it's emphasized, see that you do not do that. This angel at this time, I guess he was the tour guy. He was the touring angel. It wasn't Jesus. I don't know which angel it was, but it was one of the ones that welcomed people to heaven that God says, I want you to show them some things. John was so overtaken by it, he just was going to fall before this being. The angel said, no, no, you can get up. He said, I'm, I'm just part of the, I'm just one, I'm just from the same category of prophets and ministers to the kingdom as you are. Don't you worship me. But he did say this. Worship God. The most becoming garment you will ever put on in your life on this side of glory or on that side of glory is pure, unadulterated spirit and truth, worship of the one who sent his only begotten on a rescue mission to get you because you had no way to get yourself out of the mess that you were in. And Jesus came. You remember when he showed up in the middle of your mess? 
in the middle of your lostness, in the middle of your brokenness, in the middle of your, of your uh, uh, things that have had overwhelmed you, and yet in the middle of it all, he came down and somehow, some way, through his word, enlightened your mind, turned your spirit on, the gift of faith that he put in you when you were in your mother's womb, ignited, and you said yes, and things changed for eternity. Because of that, he said, worship God. The angels know exactly what to do when they're in the presence of God. Worship him. Why? Because that's the highest form of activity that any created being can offer to the one who created them. Look at your neighbor and say, he created you. You're a creation of the Father. He knew you before your seed was conceived in your mother's womb. He knew you before that. He destined your whole life. He knew exactly what you were created for. He knew exactly what time you would show up. He knew exactly everything. He knows all your weaknesses. He knows all your strength. He knows all your gifts. He knows everything good, bad, and ugly about you. And he said, I love you with an everlasting love. And not only that, from what will come out of you for a thousand generations, I'll love. Your children and your children's children and their children and their children and their children will be blessed because of you coming and serving Jesus because you said yes when he says, son or daughter, would you come and come to me? I showed up in a Skid Row mission in downtown Spokane, Washington, at the rescue mission in a February in the early 1970s. There, because a friend invited me to come in and play drums to the worship band, and I didn't know God at all. We said, you'll get free food. And I didn't eat free food, but I just thought, you know, to keep him off my back, I'll go and we'll see what's happening. And man, I got there in the middle of that, and it was all drug addicts and alcoholics who were getting out of the cold leaning on the wood stove in the middle of the downtown Skid Row mission and the aroma that emitted off of them as they leaned on the wood stove was like Chanel number no. 9. <laughs> it wasn't the most glorious place. That's the whole thing I'm telling you. But when they said, you need to find Jesus as your Savior, that finger the evangelist was pointing, I knew he was pointing it right directly at me. And I thought I was pretty good, and I thought I was pretty cool, and I thought it was all going. But at that moment, I realized I am just a sinner going to hell, and I need God's help, or I'm, I'm not going to make it. And that changed everything in my life around. The great command of this touring angel was, whenever you get any type of glimpse or insight or understanding about God, you need to worship him. So when this band tunes up, it's not because I play drums. That's nice. It has nothing to do. Anybody, by the way, if you play drums and, you're, and you go through, you know, the process of getting in and, and all that, and I don't know how I made it, but I think I know the worship leader. That's how I think I, I made it. But uh, 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 when they get ready, I don't care if you don't know the songs. I don't care if you know the songs. I don't care what you think about the songs. It has nothing to do with songs. Your job is this. You worship God. I've worshiped God in Haiti where I didn't know one word of the Creole language that they were singing we can go on and on. It's not about this. I love this. Thank God we have it. The command of the touring angel to you, to him, to me, to all, worship God. What's that mean? That means you park everything that happened to you this week when you come in here on Sunday morning. It's not, I'm not being unkind. I care. I know you might have a boo-boo, mommy will kiss it, or somebody will, you know, they'll try to help it, but that's not what this is about. That angel looked at him and said, oh, it's great, John. Oh, don't worship me. Get, get up off your feet. Worship God. You need to start every morning of your life when you breathe that breath and your eyes open, your brain clears, and you say, I haven't got your phone yet, and you realize I'm still on the planet. The pipes have not all plugged. I'm still going. I'm still made. First thing out of you, needs to, I'm going to worship you, Jesus. 
at the end of the night when you're tired and worn out and you've been frustrated and they've been beating on you all day and you're running like a crazy person, whenever you lay your head down, the last thing you need to do, you need to worship God. You wake up at three in the morning, like Pastor Gary, you need to do, Lord, we're gonna be worshiping God, the 3 a.m. crowd. Whatever it is, you worship God. When you're stuck and you're most frustrated, it's at that time, if you'll worship God, you'll see victory break through in your life like nothing else. Why? Because the devil's trying to take it from you, and when he hits you with everything you've got, and your first natural, supernatural response is, I'm gonna worship the Lord. Ha <laughs> ha. He'll just leave you alone. I've got more and I run out of time. We'll pick it up. There, life around the throne. Worshiping God. There's a river of water of life. Oh, we'll talk about that in a little bit next week. There's this river that, that's there. And the tree of life grows apparently from the source and the moisture and the nutrients from that river. The tree of life is there. Its fruit is harvested every month. The amazing thing, there's no sun, there's no moon, but yet there's still time that's ordered in such a way that John realized there are months. There are 12 of them. And then it says the leaves from the tree of life possess power. They heal the nations. That's where we're going. We're going to pick up next week over in Ezekiel 46 and 47. Ezekiel saw the same pattern working at a different time. And that's where one of, because this is kind of maybe supernatural, it's in the future, it's heaven and all of that. But Ezekiel saw this same pattern, the same wording, the same verbiage, and yet it's laid out in a way where it's not in heaven when we get there, but it's operating in the time that we find ourselves living in. And that's, I can't wait to begin to break that down and share that with you next week. So what are we going to do with this today? First, if you're not sure whether you're going there, you need to make sure. You need to say yes to the plan and purpose and the will of God for your life. If you, don't need, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, you need to say yes to him. This next one, I think, probably applies to the majority of us. I know it does to me. If your life gets so filled with stuff that you just are like the hamster on the treadmill, running with every little thing your, your feet got in you, and you still feel like you can't keep up, this message is for you. Your life is not just doing the job to buy the bread, to get the strength to do the job. Maybe you're facing a possibility of something. Lord, I'm just out of, I, I, I'm out of resources. I don't know what else to do. Huh. Oh, I thank God for this building at, at uh, Andreessen and Mill Plain. It's, it's wonderful. But if you look just through <laughs> the exterior, there's like, oh my goodness, Lord, this is bigger than I am and all that I got left in me. But it's not bigger than him. He put me here, and he put us here, and he put you here, and we're all here together. And he's in the middle, and he's bigger than what this building is. So it's going to be whatever he helps us and strengthens us to be. But there are times in the day where I have to take a pause break and say, God, I'm going to run the corner. I'm just going to worship you. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand up. Would you just do that right now? Shut your eyes and lift your hands. And this tour guide of heaven, this big old angel that was with John, he said, I want you to, you need to worship God, son. You need to come to a point in your life right now where everything about you is about exalting him. Lord Jesus, I worship you today. Let's, let's lift your voice, would you? Uh, just lift it up a little. You don't need to scream and shout unless you want to, but uh, don't just stand there and meditate. Let, let something come out of you in, in worship. He heaven is a very noisy place if you really look at what John was seeing in other places. 
Lord, we lift our voices today and we worship you. Lord, we exalt you with the fruit of our lips. Lord, our brain engages our tongue, which is controlled by our lungs, and it puts the breath over our vocal cords. And we say, Lord, there is no one greater than you. Jesus, you are the one who have redeemed me from the curse of the law. Lord, you are the one who has set my feet free. Lord, you are the one who's brought me into good places. Your mercy and goodness follows me all the days of my life. Lord, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Lord, I praise you and I worship you. Thank you, God. Matter of fact, if you're facing something bigger than you, the best thing that I think you could do, in my opinion, is just to take part of that and begin to worship God in the middle of it. Whatever you're facing, that's bigger than you. So by example, every time I drive into this parking lot of this building, I start praying in the Holy Ghost. And I just begin to worship God every time I drive in. And I don't see the pain and the moss and the holes and all this. I just come in and I begin to worship God and I thank Him for this place. Every time I face something in my life that I know is bigger than I am, I just begin to worship God and I begin to exalt Him. Lord, it's not bigger than you. <laughs> you haven't left me. You haven't left us as orphans, God. You said you would never leave us, nor forsake us. Maybe you're here today and the enemy has been lying to you like, oh, well, God doesn't care. You wouldn't be in this pickle. You just rebuke that lying thing and say, Jesus, you said you'd walk through me. You'd go through the valley of the shadow of death and your presence would cause me where I would fear no evil. Maybe you're feeling alone and abandoned. I rebuke that curse off of you in the name of Jesus. You're beloved of the Lord and the Lord is wrapping his arms around you and drawing you close to him. Maybe there's no body to care and that's just God's way of showing you how much he's really going to care more than anybody ever could. Touch them in Jesus' name for that lonely heart right now. Since there are those that might even be here and you've had a broken heart, there's been a, something that's happened in your life where someone left you or uh, forsook you or did, did you wrong or whatever. It broke your heart. The Lord Jesus came to set captives free and to heal the brokenhearted. Lay your hand on your heart and receive the healing touch of heaven upon you. Jesus will heal that broken spot. Heal that area. God, you said you'd be Jehovah Jireh. You supply our every need. If you're here today and you're suffering lack in finances, you don't know where it's going to come from. He does. Begin to worship him and say, God, I've honored you and I give you uh, the best of my life, who I am, and I praise you. But Lord, I'm believing you that you're going to make a way in my life. For every need that I have, you're more than able. If you're here today and you need a touch in your body, you need a healing, lift your hand. If you're here today and you need a healing in your body, we're going to close with this. Everybody else, look around. If somebody's got a hand up near you, get your hand on them. All through the building right now, just begin to reach across aisles and front and back and all of that. Just begin to reach up. We're going to let the body be what the body does, and that is we're going to body ministry to one another. If you need healing, keep your hand up. Just let them see. Just let them see. Just let them see. Now I want you to all begin to pray. Pray your best prayer. Pray. Ask God. Ask the God of heaven and earth to come and release healing, divine power and favor. By the strikes of Jesus, healing was purchased. He was bruised so that healing could come and iniquity could be broken. Lord, I pray that every cancer cell in this room would die right now. Lord, I pray that every tumor that's in anybody here right now would right this moment shrink. It would get smaller as it comes up under the, the uh, healing touch of the Holy Spirit, that tumor would shrink in the name of Jesus. Lord, bodies that are not functioning the way they should, pancreases that are stressed out and they're diabetic, in Jesus' name, I pray that they would come up under divine healing. 
joints that are worn out and painful. I pray that they would be reconstituted in the name of Jesus. Neurological things of pain and confusion and all of those things, I bind it in the name of Jesus. Dementia and Alzheimer's, you cannot stay within this place. Parkinson's, you have to leave in the name of Jesus. Circulatory and heart disease, be gone in the name of Jesus. If that's you, lay your hand on your heart. Heart, pump like you were made to pump. Arteries, flow blood like you were made to flow blood. Electrical impulses on that heart, keep on firing the way you're supposed to in the name of Jesus. I rebuke every depression, every cloud of darkness, any thoughts of suicide, be gone. I vanquish you in the name of Jesus. By his authority and by his love, you cannot have any influence on God's people in God's house. We declare today that greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Declare that over your life right now.